Man, thank you, Katie. I uh, emptied my purse during those announcements, so uh, the laundry day has long been one of, uh, we've done it, this will be our third, third year that we've done laundry, um, or that specific I Am Loved event, and um, it's been, I hesitate to say a fan favorite, but it certainly has been, um, certainly has been a powerful, powerful experience but also a, um, just a good old, good old fashioned time. Like being able to um, uh, bless people and to think about and to uh, consider. Thanks, Ben. Um, <laughs> you ever been to a laundromat? Like have you ever had to do your laundry at a laundromat? Like you can go broke quick. Um, it's not, it's not cheap. And so, um, we're so grateful for the opportunity to help shoulder a little bit of that, um, of that burden. Um, I want to just echo what, what Katie said and, uh, and, you know, speak for, uh, Corey and I, for our, our gratefulness for Carrie's service here, uh, for the way he led us in worship. Um, for his heart and his character and his family. I feel so grateful um, for him being here and, um, and, and pray um, just the absolute best that we can for him and his family. Um, you know, uh, we're in a series of divine, divine appointment and uh, sometimes like the divine appointment is not so much uh, or speaking about divine appointments is not necessarily like, all right, how, how, am, how am I going to speak to you about either preparing for or looking for or being in uh, a divine appointment? Sometimes, you know, and we've talked about um, listening to the Lord and how to recognize the voice of God when he's presenting you or giving you a, a, an opportunity to extend the love and grace of Jesus Christ to someone else and uh, that those that there's both intentional opportunities that that you create but then there's there's unintentional kind of just it just happens type of things and but the key there is listening to the voice of the Lord recognizing and understanding when when God is prodding you or speaking to you or asking you to do something, or to say something, or to be somewhere, or to be something, and and uh, you know I would be I would be remiss and and uh, and a hypocrite to not you know pray the same type of prayer, you know the Samuel prayer that we uh, learned a few weeks ago. Here am I, Lord, uh, your servant is listening. Um, and so as I was uh, as I was praying into, it's kind of funny because on Monday at staff meeting. I all of a sudden had this realization that, oh, I'm preaching this week. And I hadn't really um, thought about it, and I hadn't prayed about it, and it hadn't, really, um, it hadn't really occurred to me that I was on the schedule for this week. And so um, I began there to just ask the Lord, uh, Lord, what do you have for us this week? What do you, uh, what do you have for us? What do you need from me? What do you want from me? How can I, like, Lord, I'm, I'm listening. I want to hear you. 
Um, because, you know, the last, um, the last few weeks, this past week in particular, and not even just this last week in particular, but the last 10 months have been like, at times, honestly, this really like soul draining, physically draining, mental, emotional, spiritual suck hole of an experience, right? And I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm fine with like going off the script, Lord. Like, okay, Divine Appointments, it's a great series, we love it, but, but Father, like, let's just imagine for a minute that you are not bound by our series title, right? <laughs> and let's just imagine for a minute, Lord, that you have something that, um, that, that you want to say, Lord, uh, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Because I need it, Lord. I, I, I need to, I, Lord, I need to hear something from you. Because um, everything else that I have been hearing, everything else that I have been experiencing, everything that's been going on, Lord, has just been, I'm, I'm done, Lord. Like, I'm over it. I am shot. Let me hear from you, Lord. Um, and you know, sometimes, um, sometimes when you do that, the Lord will speak very clearly and very quickly. Sometimes when you do that, you need to, uh, uh, persist in prayer to hear the Lord. And sometimes it's like a really, um, oh my gosh, I've never seen that. Like the Lord's never spoke that to me before. I've never experienced that before. And sometimes it's like a, um, here's a helpful reminder of something so basic and so simple, but so foundational to your emotional, spiritual, um, mental health and life that it gets, like we skip right over the top of it, right? It gets overlooked so easily. Um, oh, life, life is viciously disappointing. It's, um, life has this, uh, very, like, life has this dependable way, meaning, like, you can depend on the fact that, uh, life is going to leave your expectations unmet. That, uh, that, that life is going to leave you, um, pulling out the receipt, wanting a refund, right? Like, uh, that's not exactly how I planned it. That's in, in my heart of hearts and my dream of dreams and everything that I imagined it would be and could be and should have been, uh, that wasn't it. And, um, and it's not fair and it's um, creating a lot of pain and it's leaving me feeling like uh, life, life has one goal and that's to to strip you naked, to beat you down, and kind of like to just leave you for dead. And depending upon the situation, depending upon the circumstances of the situation, depending even upon your own perspective, um, depending on uh, you know, a, a bunch of different factors, recovery from those circumstances, recovery from those incidences where you feel like life just beat you down and left you there, it can either happen very quickly 
or it can happen over a long, long period of time. And sometimes we may feel as though recovery or healing or, or new life is never going to be achieved. We're, we're, it's, it's never going to happen. We're, we're never going to be in a different place than we're in right here in this moment. You see, the, the problem is um, the never-ending, I think, like flood of these life-shifting experiences. Because we, we typically connect bad experiences to each other, right? And we, we use phrases like, um, when it rains, it pours, right? So we, we connect bad experiences and we make them all one big storm and we call that storm life, right? And that, um, and that happens a lot for us. It's like once we're feeling like we're just stepping out of the, like we just step out of the door because the rain has started or stopped, right? Uh, all of a sudden we hear thunder in the distance and we, we know it's only a matter of time before lightning strikes the tree next to our home. Uh, that's kind of how I felt in the last year or so. And uh, going into, it's really apropos because um, historically, oh, historically speaking, I Am Loved Week has been one of the worst weeks personally for the staff. Like, I Am Loved Week is amazing in the amount of ministry that we engage in and the connections we make and the, the, the testimony of God's grace moving upon people's life and our own, our own spiritual growth through that. But let me tell you what, as far as the, um, from, a, from a life perspective, a practical perspective, um, if you ask any staff member, I Am Love Week is not fun. In fact, we have kind of tongue-in-cheek, called it I Am Tired Week. Um, and uh, we've had vehicles break down, uh, phones get destroyed, personal tragedies in our, in our families and in our lives, um, vicious sickness, right? I Am Love Week has never been, personally speaking, a great week, and it just kind of always, it, it, it su supports this, kind of feeling of, man, when it rains, it pours. And the, and the, thing, with, uh, the thing with the disappointing circumstances of life is not that I can't deal with just one or just two once in a while, but it seems like they just never stop. It's just a flood. And when one thing is over, the next thing begins. And then when that thing is over, the next thing begins. And it might have to do with my relationship or my job or my finances or my church or my home or my health. But I know that something else is coming down the line. I just want to ask you the Lord. I'm like, Lord, um, Lord, given this week, Given this last 10, 11 months, um, Father, honestly, like, how do you expect me to survive? Like, 
I mean, if this is like a game of um, mercy, you know, like when you link your hands with someone and you try and like get them to say mercy, right? Right? If it's a game of mercy, I'm screaming it already. Like, let off the gas pedal. I'm like, I'm done. I tap out. I'm, it's over. Like, I give, I give up. And, you know, I'm expecting from the Lord kind of some big, like, ridiculously insightful section of Scripture that I've never encountered before or, like, something that, um, something that I've never heard before. Like, man, I, I, just must, I just must need some more information, Lord. I must not just not be smart enough, point out where it is that I'm lacking and, and we can fix this. And it's... Um, have you seen one of these before? So, um, I've used these a lot. Um, this is uh, what, um, what carpenters or uh, contractors would call, uh, well, some call it a speed square, a uh, carpenter square, a framing square. Basically, uh, what it is is something you keep in your tool belt when you're, um, when you're framing a house. When you're building a wall, um, when you're making a, uh, a perpendicular line in reference to another line, or you're making a 45-degree line in reference to another line, or you're, you're, you're measuring the pitch of, um, of a roof, and you're cutting rafters, or you're cutting, you're cutting hip and valley rafters, like uh, this thing, right? Um, this thing, if you ask any carpenter, right, uh, you hire a contractor to come work on your house, if they don't have one of these in your tool belt, fire them immediately, right? Because you don't want them building anything for you just based on their eye. You want them to have something like this, right? Uh, some variation of a tool like this. Something that offers for them a standard reference or square that can be trusted so that everything that's built off of that standard reference, everything that's built off of that square, you know is also square. Because if they, if they just be like, well, I'm just going to line it up with my eye, and I've got a pretty good idea of, um, of what straight and square looks like, um, they, may, they may do a good job at the beginning, Right? You might not necessarily recognize uh, something that's an eighth of an inch out of square at the corner of the foundation, right? But when you build 30 feet into the air and you get to putting the plywood on the truss trusses of your home, you'll realize that that eighth inch out of square at the foundation translates into a foot out of square at the roof. And this little tool right here, if it's just this much, this much out of line, this much out of square, right? If it deviates this much, you might not see it immediately, right? But eventually, there's going to be a point in the project where you realize you've gotten so 
far off course that it's almost impossible to correct at the point you're at now. And you have to go all the way back to the beginning. You have to go all the way back to where you started to say, let me take my square and, and, and put it at the starting point again. Let me see, that's got to be where everything went wrong. And 99 times out of 100, it's the standard that we use to build our lives upon that is the problem, not the circumstances that we're experiencing. 99 times out of 100, when we go all the way back to the beginning, what we realize it's, is that it's, it's not necessarily the, the circumstances along the path that have derailed me. But what it, what it actually is, is that, is that I started with a square that was not square. I started with a standard that was broken, with a, with a starting point that, that, was go, that, that never had any possibility to lead me anywhere other than So, the question then is, what happens when your square is broken? Right? What, what happens when, when you've been using this and should have been using something else? You see, what, I, what I've recognized in my life, especially in the last 10 months, all right? This is not like some... Um, theoretical, hypothetical, um, you know, way out there, ethereal, spiritual lesson. This is the story of my last 10 months. This is, this is, my, this is, this is my testimony from the last 10 months, all right? When your standard is broken, things get out of whack very quickly. And the, and the, and the times where things have been, uh, in my life, where things have been most out of whack, most out of control, most um, emotionally or mentally or, or spiritually unstable is when, um, is when I've allowed some other, uh, some other standard, some other tool, some other uh, square to define my mental, emotional, and spiritual starting point. You see, sometimes um, how it works for me is um, that instead of allowing um, the character of God, um, God, the way that God views me, um, the promises of God, in, instead of allowing those things to be my starting point, to be my, my point of origin, what, what, what I've allowed is I've allowed... Um, someone else's actions to be my starting point. I've, I've allowed someone else's words to be my starting point. I've allowed someone else's view of me be my starting point. Right? They, they, their, their actions 
their, their words, their, their view of me, the way that they see me, their opinion of me, their opinion of the things that I do. They, they, I allow those to stand in as the, as the framing square, as the, as the standard by which everything else in my life is built, right? And I start from a, from a, I, I let my origin be what someone else says. I let my origin be what someone else does. I let my origin be what someone says about me or of me. And then if I'm starting at a place that is already unsquare, every step I take forward will lead me down a path of destruction. Every step I take forward will only make me more unstable, more unhealthy, deviated more from the path. And yeah, it might take me a few days. It might take me a few weeks. It may take me 10 months to realize that something that happened way back then and all of the circumstances since were really not the issue. But the issue was that I originally was standing in a place where I was set up for injury. I was set up to be destroyed because everything about me and everything in me wanted to, wanted to, to please this person or please that person or, or, or hinge my life or my expectations on what this person did or what this person didn't do or what this person said or what this person didn't say. You ever have someone... Um, say or do something, right? Someone say or do something that doesn't even have anything to do with you and it absolutely shipwrecks your day. Why is that? Like, it's such a... Um, it's such a um, like spiritually like significant and real issue that almost everyone experiences where, where someone says something, does something, they may, they may do something that has zero connection with you. Maybe you're just watching them destroy their own life. And in the in the midst of you being witness to their destruction, their self-inflicted destruction, it destroys your life as well, right? Because you dwell on it, because you allow it affect who, how you see the world, how you see the Lord, how you see yourself. You started in a place that was doomed for error, error or for error. Someone thinks something of you, right? You, you get wind that, well, uh, Pastor Corey, he, uh, he, said, uh, he said this about you. Thinks you're a dirty, rotten, no good scoundrel, right? And maybe you don't know Pastor Corey, and maybe you don't care 
about Pastor Corey, right? But, but all of a sudden, right, for some reason, how someone else views you, how someone else, what, what someone else thinks of you, right, wrong, or indifferent, now becomes your, the, the way that you see yourself. Now, now, now it becomes, now it becomes the way in which you begin to, well, if he thinks that about me, I mean, it's got to be like, he can't be all wrong, can he? Like maybe, ah, I guess I am like that. Um, listen, I, I think that there are some, some profoundly simple spiritual principles that are attached to things like this. And uh, we're going to call, I guess we'll call it like um, uh, making a square spiritual starting point. And uh, my, uh, my opinion and, and my experience, I should say, my, both my opinion and my experience is that uh, when we allow our um, spiritual starting point to be uh, to be square with the character of God, the promises of God, and the way that God views us, then uh, we set ourselves up um, to walk a path uh, that remains straight. But if instead of God's character, we choose um, my spouse's character, right? That's the, that's the level line, that's the square line that I'm going to start at. Instead of the promises of God to us, we, um, we're going to, let's see, we're going we're gonna to square our lives against, uh, the, uh, let's say, the promises that my employer made for me about the promotion next month, or the pay, pay increase, or whatever the case may be. Like, I'm going to square my, myself, like, my starting point's going to be the promises that that person made. Or, um, instead, of, instead of making our spiritual starting point, right, God, the way that God sees us, the way that God sees you, instead, um, we're going to make our spirit, we're going to make our spiritual starting point the, um, the way that uh, the guy that you used to work with or the, the person that you, uh, the person that lives next door to you or, or you're, you know, a family member or something like that, you're going to allow, you're going to allow their view of you to define, um, to define your, who you are. And, and my assertion is, is that, is that when we rightly take the spiritual starting point of God's view of us, God's character and God's promises to us, when we take that as our spiritual starting point, um, we'll begin to live a much more stable life. You know, when um, the Ten Commandments, we often see them as these, like, um, restrictive things of, that, that God wishes to withhold from us, right? 
That's kind of our, our law-based law mind and education, right? Is that, is that there's all these no's. Know this, know that, know this, know that. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, right? We have to train our minds to think in the way of grace, right? We have to train our minds and our spirits to believe that, that God wants only good things for us, right? And so that when God says no... What God is saying is, don't hurt yourself. When God says don't, what God is saying is, you don't understand how hot the stove is. Don't touch it. It will burn you. The very first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, kind of explains everything that we have, right, as a spiritual square or starting point. And we get caught up on the uh, we get caught up on the language a lot. You shall have no other gods before me. It sounds like the overbearing, um, you know, kind of disciplinarian, authoritarian um, parent who speaks to their children only in like King James English, and all of their children, like for the first five years of their life, their kid thinks that their first name is No, right? But but listen, listen, what God. What, what about, um, it, this, is, this is not about God like wanting exclusivity in your life for his benefit, right? Like somehow he just doesn't have a whole lot of self-esteem. God doesn't, right? And so if you start to follow other gods, it's really going to hurt his feelings. And so we made a commandment that you shall have no other gods before me because he's really... Um, He's just really insecure in his godhood, right? Absolutely not, right? God, God, God commands exclusivity not for his benefit, but, but because he knows that when we follow other things, when we, when we worship at the altar of anything else other than him, we end up down a deviated course that will leave us nothing but broken. And because God loves us so, because we are his prized possession, because we are the apex of all that he has created, because we are the object of his love, the apple of his eye, God cannot fathom or swallow the idea that you would enter into a worshipful relationship with something that is going to harm you. Well, I don't worship any other gods. I have no graven, graven images set up in my, in my home. I'm here in church. How could you say I worship? Listen, we worship gods, other gods all of the time, right? Idolatry is the very, like, it is the center of all sin, right? We idolize, we idolize um, that's what I'm looking for? Idolize, thank you. We idolize ourselves. We idolize our children. We idolize our spouses. We idolize our possessions. We idolize um, our occupations. We idolize our circumstances. Right? We allow our mind, all of our energy, all of our spiritual, mental energy and resource to be completely focused 100% of the time on our circumstance, right? 
this happened to me, this happened to me, poor me, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Can you see anything else? And God's desire is not exclusivity for his benefit. God's desire is exclusivity for yours. For yours. See, the reality here is that in a world where everything is subject to change, where I can put all of my hope and all of my faith and all of my trust in um, my spouse, and then tomorrow my spouse may be gone. I can put all of my hope, all of my energy, all of my focus in my job, and tomorrow my job may be gone. Or tomorrow my health may be gone. Or tomorrow my future may be gone. My future at least as I see it. In a world where when it rains, it pours. Right? In a world where everything is subject to change, where all of life circumstances constantly shift. Listen, God remains a solid rock on which you can stand. When all of life changes, God remains a solid rock on which you can stand. And I'm not just talking about the idea of God, right? I'm not talking about the feel-good environment of going to church. I'm talking about the actual person of God. Not a theory, not something hypothetical, but about someone who you can actually rely upon. Jesus talked about this very uh, thing in Matthew chapter 7. This is often a passage of scripture that I use at weddings. Because the principle is same for my life as it would be for your marriage, right? God is a solid rock on which you can stand. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, the similarities here are is that, is that, um, is that there's, there's two separate materials to build your life upon, right? And the reality is, is that it doesn't matter if you build your house on the rock. And it doesn't matter if you build your house on the sand. The storm is going to come no matter what you build your house upon. Right? It's, not a, it's not like the house that was built upon the rock didn't have any storms. 
is that the house that was built upon the rock started out with a very square foundation about hearing the words of the Lord and then Jesus says, putting them into practice. So when the inevitable change of life comes, when the inevitable winds are blowing, rain is coming down, water is rising up, those that are are firm. In the storm, experiencing the storm, witnessing the storm, maybe like this in the storm, right? But eventually, what happens to every storm? It dies. Some storms are longer than others. But in a world where everything changes, everything is subject to change, God remains a solid rock. God remains the same. He never changes. The psalmist writes about this dozens and dozens of times. Psalm chapter 102, verses 25 27. In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be discarded. But listen, while all of life is shifting, right? While the wind is blowing, while, the, while the, the sand is being eroded from your feet, right? But you, O oh Lord, remain the same. And your years will never end. That when you don't know who you can trust, that you don't know what you can trust, when you have lived a life where everything that you have counted on has disappointed you, there is one thing that never changes. There is one person who remains the same. There is one person that is a solid rock that is not moved by any storm, no matter how large. That is our Father. God remains the same. Now, my hope, our hope this morning is to build a life where our standard is three things, okay? So we have three sides to this square. Our first side, right? Our reference side, God's character, God's character, right? What is the, what is the first thing? What is the, what is the standard by which what is our, our origin, our starting point, point? The first point is God's character. That's where we're going to start. We're not going to start with my character. I'm a good person. I, I can persevere. I have endurance. I'm a hard worker. I can get through this. I can move past it. No, it's not about my character. My character shifts with, the, with, every, like, with, with every storm that comes. My character is liable to shift. His character is liable to shift. Her character is liable to shift. 
Her character is liable to shift. His character is liable to shift. God's character remains the same. God's character is holiness expressed in love. The character of God never changes, and the character of God is good. In fact, um, the writer of 1 John has this to say about the character of God. He says in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. Listen, right? Not that God does loving things. Also true, right? But, but evil people can do good things, right? Agreed? Evil people can do good things. There's a difference between something that we do and someone that we are. And the writer of John here in 1 John and in other places in Scripture declares that God doesn't just do loving things. That at the very core of who God is, there is love. That is, it is out of love that everything that God is emanates. That it is the, that it is the center of his character. It is the motivating force behind who he is. God is enduring love. Psalm chapter 100 verse 5 says that the Lord is good that his love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. That that um, that one of, the, one of the purposes and mission of Jesus was for you and I to grasp onto, to come, to come to some understanding of, to have some idea of the measure of the character of our loving God. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Paul writes these words. Verses 17 and 18 of Ephesians chapter 3. And I pray that you, <clears throat> I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that you may have the power together with all of the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the measure all of the fullness of God. God wants no limitations on your understanding, your, your grasp of how high and how wide and how deep and how long is His love. But, but sometimes, right, um, sometimes what we experience is um, a 
like a mechanical knowledge that God is love, but a practical like misfire. Because here's, here's the other thing. God, God promises some things to us. And that's going to be the second leg of our triangle, right? We have God's character, but now we have God's promises. What can we build our life upon? Something that can be trusted, something that's not going to move, something that's not going to deviate even far down the line. We have God's character, and now we have God's promises, right? And, and, and I'm going to focus on one promise here, because listen, um, what, what I have, what, what I've experienced before, and my wife and I kind of joke about this sometimes with each other, and I think you've heard it before, oh man, I know that God likes me, or loves me, right? It's written all over his word, it's hard to miss it, right? How much God loves you, right? But sometimes I really doubt that God likes me. That God's like, man, I like you. You're all right. You're, you're a good guy. Right? Because we can, you can gather how this works, right? Like, I asked my wife, Sherry, do you love me? Yeah, of course I love you. Do you like me? Not, not really right now, no, I don't. <laughs> you know? And most people understand, right, how those two things can exist within the same plane, right? Especially if you have, if you've ever been close to anyone ever in your life before, you understand that. Whether it be a spouse or a child, right? Love my kids. Need a break, right? <laughs> Need a break. The reality is, is that God doesn't just love you. He doesn't just love you all the time. God likes you all the time. He doesn't just want great things for you eternally. God is actively out to pursue and produce good things for you. Now. Right now. That, 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 God, that God actively works even through the storms of horrible circumstances for your good. Now, we, we often think of, you know, that famous passage in Romans chapter 8 as a, as a, you know, what's going on in the midst of life's circumstances and storms, right? Where God has, uh, God is prepared to, for the good for all of those who loved him and are called according to his purposes, right? But, but uh, take it out of the realm of just happening within horrible circumstances and just put it in everyday life right? Things are going great for me. No, no tension, no struggle. Things are great. Even in the midst of that, God is actively working through the circumstances of your life to give you and produce good things for you. God wants good things for you. He wants good things for you. Romans chapter 8, don't believe me, right? Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 28. And we know that in all things, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, right? In all things, God works 
for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many people. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now listen to this. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, and God is definitively for you, sometimes God is for you in light of being against you. Because what we, we, we have an awesome ability to self-destruct. To, to do things in to do things to ourselves that try to bend the square of our lives. And sometimes in the midst of God being absolutely for you, he is against part of you. If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us? Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But listen to this, church. Are you listening? You hear? Right? You're with me? Say amen. 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 All right, listen. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If that is not a promise that you don't want to square all of your life on, I don't know what is. That there is nothing that will ever separate you from the height and the depth and the length and the width and the breadth of his love for you in Jesus Christ. And there is not person, there is not circumstance, there is nothing that can stand in the way of that. If God is For us in that promise, no one can be against us. No one. We have God's character, we have God's promises, but now we have the way God views us. And if I were to say one thing, this is where I'm like, ah, hard one for me, Lord. Really difficult to grasp the truth of this. God views us as his child. You want to know how God sees you? How do you see your child? 
how you see your firstborn. Don't have any children? How do you see your spouse? Don't have a spouse? How do you see your mom, right? Don't answer that. How do you see your mother-in-law? Don't answer that one, right? God views you as his child. No, God views me as a suspect, and he's the judge, and I'm on the stand, and he's questioning me about this, and about this, and about this. Explain yourself, explain yourself, explain yourself. What do you think you're doing? Unequivocally. Unequivocally. God views us as his child. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Jesus says the same thing about the Father in relationship to us. In Matthew chapter 7, when he says, in verse 9, chapter 7, which of you, if their child asks for bread, will give them a stone? Your child comes to you, right? Hungry. Wanting something. They come to the only person that they know and can trust will provide it for them. And you pull out a stone and give it to them. No, no parent does that, right? Which of you, if their child asks for bread, gives them a stone? Or if he asks for fish, give them a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You are God's child. He does not see you the way that you see you. He sees you according to his character. He sees you according to his desire to accomplish his promises. He views you not like the world views you. You are his child. Dear, beloved child. Listen. God is a stabilizing force. He is the, his character His promises and the way he views us 
is not some just cliche Sunday school lesson, a picture that we would expect our kids to color in downstairs and bring up to us. When life is eroding around us, when we begin to believe that we're not cut out for this, when we begin to, uh, to believe, intrinsically believe what others say about us, both positive and negative, when we allow the decisions of someone else to shipwreck or motivate our day. Both are equally dangerous, understand. We put ourselves in a place of danger. Because when we build our lives on the shifting sand of the world around us, the only thing that I will guarantee, that the word guarantees, is that when the storm comes, and it will, your foundation will be gone. And you will fall flat on your face. Or as Jesus says, your house will fall with a great crash. It's a beautiful, I'm not going to get into it, but it's a beautiful story and picture. In fact, I want to find one of these pictures. I want to hang it up in my house. You've seen the paintings before. The story of Mark chapter 4. The disciples in a boat. Panicked, white-knuckling the side of the boat. Why? Because the waves are huge. Lightning is crashing down. Dark storm clouds all around them, right? White knuckled on the side, scared out of their minds, right? And where's Jesus? Sleeping in the stern. The most shaky place of all, right? Why? Perfect understanding of God's character. Complete confidence in his in the Father's view of him. Absolutely undeniable belief that God only wanted his good. Big storm, fellas. I think I'll take a nap. Square your life off of those things. Don't, don't, don't allow, don't allow your standard to be anything but those. Don't allow your starting point, your origin, to be anywhere but those places. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you, Lord, that we can call you Father. And the reason that we can call you Father is because you have called us child. The reason that we can call you Father is because you love us. Not only do you love us, Lord, 
but you are love. It is impossible for you to do or be anything but love. Lord, when we want to give up because of the circumstance around us, Lord, remember what you have called us to. When we are anxious, when we are depressed, when we are beaten down, nearly destroyed, when the words or actions or life decisions of others have seemingly and somehow shipwrecked our own life, Lord, we pray that our standard, back to the very beginning, the origin of all that we do and feel and experience, Lord, would be your character, would be your view, would be your promise. Lord, you and no one else, we will have no other gods before you, Lord. We will not be moved, we will not be shaken. Though the wind and the waves and the rain will beat against our house, Lord, it will stand firm, for we are on the rock, the never-ending, unchanging character of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.